Uh, Please turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We will continue our walk through the summation of God's moral law that we find in the Ten Commandments today with the Third Commandment. Over the last two weeks, we've covered the First and the Second Commandments, which command us to worship only God and to worship Him rightly, respectively. Most often in the modern church, the Third Commandment has been minimized to something to the effect of, don't say certain profanities. I'm not going to give you an example. We all know the one that I'm referring to, all right? But that's that's essentially the way that we typically understand the third commandment. It's been minimized down to that. In our attempt to distill God's truth into manageable pieces, we have reduced more complex commands into glimpses that, while true in a certain sense, ultimately miss the larger point. Our catechism questions, when we go through the Ten Commandments, earlier this year when we did that, the third commandment was summarized for our children in the catechism with, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And that is a much more robust and correct way to understand what the third commandment has to say. Because when we consider this commandment today, my hope is that we will recognize that it has an impact on the entirety of our lives, not only on words that we say. Because even if it is only a reflection of the words that we say, Matthew 12, 34 reminds us that out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we think about the way that we talk, it is a reflection of who we are. So let's look together at Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And that's the only verse we'll be looking at today. We have two points this morning, if you got one of our sermon listening guides when you came in. And our first point this morning is dishonoring God's name. Dishonoring God's name. So let's read together Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The third commandment is ultimately about the who of worship. We talked about how the first commandment is a commandment about the who of worship. Who do we worship? We worship the one true God. Last week we talked about how the second commandment was about how we worship the Lord. And today we're back to the who of worship. We worship a holy God. The Lord God is a holy God. If you were here with us last week, we talked some about that, but I want to just briefly address it again here today. Holy is a word that means set apart. It has to do with the fact that God is altogether different from us. Even in the ways that we are made in God's image, he is different from us because he does those things Perfectly, He is those things. They are a part of his nature. Not that God is parts, but you understand what I'm saying. We do those things imperfectly. So a perfect example, the Bible tells us that God is love. God perfectly loves. We do not perfectly love. We love selfishly sometimes. 
We get confused about what love really is. Our culture is extraordinarily confused about what love really is and has decided that to love someone means that you are to affirm and celebrate everything that they believe and say and want to believe about themselves. But that is not love. God loves perfectly because God loves in perfect truth. That's just one example of how, even though we are made in God's image, we are altogether different because God is much higher than us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so when we consider this God that we worship, this God that we say we are his people, and we think about the fact that he is holy, our words and our actions should reflect that. Not only our words and actions having to do with the Lord, but all of our words and actions. Because when we say we are God's people, we are representing God in literally everything that we do. Nothing we do should bring dishonor upon God's name. So when we think about the third commandment, and we think about not misusing or not dishonoring the name of God, there are some particular things to consider. The first thing is that we need to consider the usage of God's name itself. As we have seen in the book of Exodus, God has revealed his covenant name to the people of Israel, the name Yahweh. He has revealed that to them. He has said, this is who I am. Now, Jews historically refrain from using that name. They do not write it out. They don't say it out loud. You might see a Jewish person in English write G-D. That is them attempting to follow the third commandment well because they don't want to misrepresent or misuse God's name in any way, even by accident. And so they'll do things like that. That's actually where the fake name Jehovah comes from. That's not actually in the Bible. The word Jehovah is not found in Scripture. What actually happened there, it takes the consonant sounds from Yahweh, and it takes the vowel sounds from Adonai, which is a different word that we use to represent the Lord in Scripture, and it made Yehovah. So that's where that came from. So one of the things that some King James-only people get really upset about is that, the, that this Bible doesn't say Jehovah in it. Well, that's because it's not actually in the Bible. That was an invention of King James when he put it in. All right? So there's nothing wrong necessarily with doing that. Just don't get super hung up on that. But the idea behind it was we're going to make sure that we don't misuse God's name. For us, when we think about misusing the name of God, we should recognize that that does prohibit us from using profanity that involves the name of God or the use of God's name as an expletive. All right, so that means saying things like, oh my God, and things of that nature are not okay. Those are violations of the third commandment. And I recognize that those things are so widespread in our culture that they happen without even thinking about it. You've heard people say that probably two dozen times this week, and it might not have even ever crossed your mind that that was a violation of the third commandment, but it is. 
It is a violation of the third commandment to simply use God's name in frustration or exclamation in that way. Because that is not representative of God. Those things are morally forbidden in almost every possible context. We should not use God's name wrongly. But listen, it's not only about profanity. It also has to do with the way that we talk about God, even as Christians. There are some today who claim that God speaks to them. He speaks to them on a personal level. He has given them a personal word. Guess what? They are violating the third commandment. Because God has not done that. He has not given them a personal word. That is not something that he does any longer. And so this, that they are violating the third commandment by misrepresenting the name of the Lord in doing that. When we talk about the way that the Lord interacts with us as Christians, we must also be very careful. Because it's not just about profanity. It's also the things that we think are good things. If they're not true things, if they're not things that we can back up from Scripture, we are also violating the third commandment. Another thing that we must consider are oaths. An oath is an affirmation of truthfulness. It's not as common anymore for people to make oaths one-on-one. -on -one. The main context we hear it in these days has to do with the legal system, the judicial system. When you, you, you may be called to testify and you have to swear that you, you have to swear an oath that you will tell the truth. In making an oath, which is the highest sort of commitment that we find in Scripture, you are binding yourself to telling the truth no matter what. And in whatever you swear by, you are saying that that bears witness to your truthfulness. So if you swear by, I swear on my mama. You hear people say stuff like that a lot. You're, sw you're swearing that your mother will testify to your truthfulness. Now, God's people are commanded to swear only, to, to make oaths only by his name because there is nothing higher. To swear by anything else is to place that above God. Jesus in Matthew 5 says this, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, at first glance, this passage makes it seem like Jesus is saying, don't swear any oaths ever at all. But that's not exactly what's happening here. Remember, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus did not come to abolish God's moral law because morals are eternal and can never be abolished. What Jesus is actually speaking of here is this practice that the Pharisees had by which they would swear oaths by different things as a way to appear pious while also being able to get away with lying. 
The Pharisees would swear by literally anything but the name of God because swearing an oath by the name of God that is not true means you will be put to death. So they would swear by things that sounded really pious. Oh, I swear by the Lord's throne that this is true. I swear by the earth that the Lord created that this is true. All in an attempt to lie and deceive people. And what Jesus is essentially saying here, it is better to not swear an oath at all than to lie. And in addition to that, we should be known as truthful so that our oaths are unnecessary. That's a main concept here, folks. One of the reasons why the Pharisees had to swear by all of these things was because they weren't trusted. Because they lied to people and they cheated people and they deceived people. And so they would say that. They would say, well, I swear by the Lord's throne so that people would believe them. But as God's people, and specifically as Christians, our yes should be yes and our no should be no to the point that when I'm having a conversation with another Christian, they should never have to say, I swear I'm telling the truth. Because they should be known as truthful. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if you have to swear an oath for people to believe you, that comes from evil. You should be a truthful person, even, even when the truth could hurt you. Sometimes we think it's okay to lie in self-preservation. Well, if I, if I tell the truth, I might lose my job. If I tell the truth, my spouse is going to be upset with me. If I tell the truth, my parents are going to discipline me. It shouldn't matter. We should tell the truth always. We should be known as people who tell the truth. And so we should not make a regular practice of swearing to the Lord or swearing by the Lord. That should not be our regular way of conducting ourselves. But we are not forbidden from doing so. If the need arises throughout Christian history, some have taken this passage to say it is immoral for Christians to swear an oath at all. That's not what Jesus is saying here. If you are called into court to testify, you are free to swear an oath under the rules of the court. But what I'm telling you as your pastor, as a pastor preaching God's word to you is that you should not need to swear an oath. You should be known as someone who tells the truth so that people don't doubt you. That's, that's what's happening there. And this idea of, of truthfulness also, and this idea of representing God well, also flows into the idea of how we worship. I touched on this some last week. I touched it a little bit on how the way that we worship the Lord is a reflection of the God that we worship. But we also must recognize that to worship God wrongly is not only a violation of the second commandment, it is also a violation of the third. Because in worshiping God wrongly, we are saying this rightly pictures God. This rightly images the Lord. This rightly represents him. And it doesn't. It does not. To worship God in any way that we please, in any way that is found outside of Scripture, is not worship that rightly represents the name of the Lord. To worship God in any way we please 
is to misuse, to dishonor the name of God. But that's not all. When we think about the third commandment, we think about not dishonoring God's name, we also must consider the entirety of our lives. We're told in Romans 12 by Paul that our lives, the way we live our lives, is an act of worship to the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's important to remember that earlier in the book of Romans, as Paul is writing out this, what I would refer to as a systematic theology to the Gentiles, as Paul is writing this out, he begins by saying, all of us, all of us, are made in God's image. And all of us have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And so Romans 12 here is written for Christians, but that does not excuse unbelievers from this calling. You following me? Because all of us have exchanged the truth about God for a lie, then the calling here is for all of us to image God rightly in our lives because all of us are made in his image. And when our lives do not reflect the truth of God, we are in violation of the third commandment. When our lives don't look like the Lord God who created us, we are presenting to all of creation a false image of God. Even further... As Christians, we bear the name of Jesus Christ. We bear the name of the Son of God who took on flesh and came into the world. We bear that name. We literally call ourselves Christians, which means little Christ. And so when we say, I am a Christian, but our lives don't look like Christ, we dishonor his name. I'm going to be really honest with you here. This is why, this is why we have prescriptions for things like church discipline in Scripture. This is why. Because to allow someone to say, I am a Christian, and then live their lives in whatever way they choose, brings dishonor upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we as a church, as individual churches, must not allow that to happen without ever speaking truth against that. That's why church discipline exists, that they might see their error and be changed. They would repent. And so listen, brothers and sisters, one of our highest callings as Christians is to go to our so-called brothers and sisters when their lives are a mess and they don't reflect Christ and say, hey, can we talk about this for a little bit? I've noticed this pattern of ongoing sin in your life and I've not noticed the fruit of repentance. Can we talk about that? And we need to be willing to say hard things. We need to be willing to say to people, if you refuse to repent, 
then you need to understand that the likely conclusion is that you are not a Christian. Because Christians don't live that way. I have had conversations with people where I said that very thing. And some of them have gotten exceedingly angry at me. And they've misquoted scripture back to me. Well, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge. Well, okay, well, no, it doesn't, but all right. But I've also had some who recognize their error. I've had some who said, I never thought of it that way. I didn't realize this. Can you please pray with me and for me? That is why we call one another to repentance. That is why we seek to hold one another accountable. That's why we do church discipline. It's not so that we can be mean. It's not so that we can say, ha, 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 you're a sinner. It's so that we can pray that they would repent. The end goal of church discipline is repentance and, res and restoration. That should be the end goal of our conversations that we have with other believers when their lives don't reflect Christ. We are way too quick to fall back on phrases like nobody's perfect or I'm just a sinner when in reality we should be repentant before God for our violations of his moral law. It is true that nobody's perfect. It is true that we are all just sinners. But it is inexcusable for us to say that and nothing more. That dishonors the name of God. Too many unbelievers have a false picture of Christ because of unrepentant so-called Christians. Too many. And it's our fault. It's our fault as the church. Because we have been lax in holding one another accountable. We have neglected our obligation to do things like church discipline in order to not profane the name of our holy Savior. That is not an exhaustive list of what is required of us in the third commandment. But I think you understand what the third commandment is driving at now. And that's not the end of the verse. The verse doesn't just give us the commandment. It also gives us consequences. That's the next thing that we see in our passage. We see consequences. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord will not hold us guiltless for violating his commandment, for violating this particular commandment. And I want to share with you Two stories from the scriptures that will help you to understand how seriously the Lord takes this commandment. In Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16, we find this story. Now, an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out, from among, the, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name, being the name of God, and cursed then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Dilbri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Bring out of the camp the one who cursed and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So here we have a young man who is out, and as young men do, loses his temper, wants to show how tough he is, and gets into a fight with another young man. And in the midst of that fight, he uses the name of the Lord God in vain. And he curses this other young man. The text tells us this is, this is blasphemy. This is slander against God. And this was something that had never happened before. They were very uncle. What, what do we do? And so they literally said, we're just going to hold on to him until the Lord tells us what to do. And so the Lord spoke through Moses and said, here is the punishment. You will stone him to death. All of the people of Israel will gather up stones and they will throw stones at him until he is dead. There is no, hey buddy, you should say you're sorry. Hey, you, you, should, you should say I didn't mean it. No. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. And he dies. When he woke up that morning, he had no idea that he was going to be stoned to death later that day. But the Lord does not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This man was guilty of violating the third commandment in multiple ways. He blasphemed the Lord. He cursed his brother. And he misrepresented God by being a part of his people and murdering another. And I want you to notice that God takes this so seriously that this punishment is not restricted only to the people of Israel. He says, whether they're a part of Israel or they're a sojourner, if they're there on a visit and they violate this third commandment, they too will be stoned to death. That is how seriously the Lord takes this command to not take his name in vain. And sometimes we're, we tend to think, well, that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament was a little more on the brutal side. The New Testament is love and sunshine and happiness. Well, in Acts chapter 5, we find a different story. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for this much. And she said, yes, for that much. 
But Peter said to you, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. When I was a teenager and I read this story in the Bible for the first time, my immediate thought was, those poor guys, they just dug a grave out in the hot sun, and now they come back in and, oh, we got to do it again? That was my immediate thought. But as time has gone on and I've considered these words and I've heard it talked about over and over and over again from the pulpit. I've heard people talk about, don't lie to God. Don't, that's, that's the real moral of the story. Don't lie to God. The more I think about it, the more I recognize that what's really at issue here is that this is a violation of the third commandment. Because what they have done is they have said, Ananias and Sapphira have said, we have sold this property to give it to the Lord. Look how righteous and holy and spiritual we are. They have misrepresented the name of God upon themselves. Because what are they doing? They are lying to the Holy Spirit. And what are they forgetting? That God knows everything. They can deceive the whole church. If you came in and told me, Pastor, I sold a house, I sold some property, and I'm giving you all the proceeds, I would have no idea if you were telling me the truth. I mean, technically, I guess I could go look up the deed of sale or whatever. That's too much work. I'm not doing that. I got little kids at home. But on its face, I have no way of knowing if you're telling me a lie. But God knows all things. You can't hide from the Lord. You can't lie to God. And so their violation of the third commandment is ultimately saying, hey, listen, we are believers in the one true God. We are followers of Christ who apparently have no concept of the fact that he knows everything and that he takes seriously violations against his name. So even in the New Testament context, thankfully, Peter didn't say to the whole church, everybody grab a rock. That, that would have been a big deal if he did. Thankfully, that's not what happened. We don't have to stone people who violate the third commandment. But we do need to recognize that the Lord does not hold guiltless those who misrepresent, who dishonor his name. And all of us are liable for our sin in that way. All of us. And that might mean that the Lord will take your life. It doesn't necessarily, but it might. And you might think, well, I know people who dishonor God through their lives and their actions, and they've gotten away with it. I think about the false teachers on, play, on TV, on TBN, and things like that. Kenneth Copeland is very old. He has gotten away with violating the third commandment for a really long time. But I know that unless he repents, the Lord will not hold him guiltless. And he will pay for his violation of God's law. And the same is true of all of us. We must take this commandment seriously. We must consider the fact that it has impact on every single part of our lives. 
And that immediately terrifies me. It immediately makes me recognize all of the ways that I do not honor the Lord. All the ways that I dishonor his name. But then I remember that Christ has perfectly reflected the image of God. Christ has never once dishonored God's name. Never once. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There is no way in any part of Jesus that he ever violated the third commandment. And guess what? He did that for us. He did that that we might have his perfect righteousness. He came and took on flesh and lived the perfect obedient life that we never could and then died a sinner's death on our behalf that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you are in Christ, when the Lord looks upon you, he sees the perfect obedience of his son. He sees the perfect upholding of his name by Jesus Christ. That does not mean that we should not strive to obey. That does not mean that we should not repent when we fall short. But it does mean that we do not live in fear of condemnation. We trust in the Lord when we fail. And we often fail. But if you are here with us this morning and you don't know Christ, if you have not been washed in his blood, if you have not been given a new living heart by the Lord God, and you are not a Christian, you stand condemned. You face the eternal judgment of God who will not hold you guiltless because every breath you take as a non-believer, every thought you have as someone who is not in Christ but in Adam, our first father, every breath, every thought you have is a violation of the third commandment. And the Lord will not hold that guiltless. But here is the encouraging word. It is not too late. It is not too late to repent. It is not too late to throw yourself upon the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that we would be saved. In just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But during that time, I am available to you. If you would like to come and talk to me about how you can know the Lord, I would love to share with you during that time how you too can be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ who has perfectly obeyed every single part of it. And Lord, I pray today that we would rest in his perfect holiness. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who are known to rightly image you. That, Father, every part of our lives would reflect the truth and love and grace and majesty of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those who are with us that don't know the Lord. 
I pray, Lord, that you right now, this very day, would draw them to yourself and save them. Father, please be with us as we take the supper together, that Christ would be glorified in us. We pray this in his name.